Well, good morning. It's kind of exciting, isn't it, to hear he's getting just a couple hours away now and uh, getting closer. Uh, I'd like to uh, do something a little different today, something I've never done before. I preached my first sermon 54 years ago, so I've done this a bit, but uh, I've never talked like this before because I want to talk to you as a pastor uh, to a church, and I want to kind of help you understand what it feels like to be a pastor and how uh, you can help care for Ben and his family to make sure that this thing really gets off on the right, the right foot uh, when he gets here tonight, uh, this afternoon. Let's have a, just a quick prayer, though. Father, as we talk about this, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, turning your Bible to Colossians 4.4, 4. you have an outline in your program that looks like this today, and kind of as a mnemonic device, I just decided to use the word pastor to talk about what I'm going to talk about today. That kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Okay. And uh, we begin in Colossians 4.4, pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Uh, the P in pastor, you, you don't have to be, uh, you know, a brainchild. I always like the story about a little boy in Sunday school, and the teacher said, okay, uh, what I am, I'm, I'm kind of like to climb trees. I got kind of a bushy tail. What, I, what am I? And the kids all just sat there looking at each other, and a little boy raised his hands, and he said, well, I don't know, Jesus? You know, <laughs> you, you think the answer to everything has uh, got to be something like that. Uh, and actually, it was, of course, a squirrel. But the... Uh, when we think about the scripture and, and prayer, isn't it interesting that the Apostle Paul, is the verse up? Can you put it up again? Uh, asked for prayer that he would be able to share the message clearly. There's a small church just outside of Rome that I have on my bucket list because it's the place where the Apostle Paul's uh, body was buried centuries ago. And I'd like to go there because it hits me so often when I read the Bible that we really would not fully understand Christianity if you took what Paul wrote out of the Bible. He just did such a great job. And yet here was his prayer. God, would you, I want to pray that I will be able to communicate with clarity. Uh, the P is for prayer, but what should you pray for? Pray that you'll be able to understand what he's saying, and pray that he'll be able to be clear in what he's expressing to you. Clarity is, is uh, just a huge thing. And sometimes uh, some pastors get, you know, they start teaching a Greek class. Others uh, just get into a lot of minutiae historically or different things. And it's easy sometimes to lose where they're going. Don't ever be afraid to ask questions because it helps us kind of focus in on on what we need to uh, deal with, what we need to be clearer about. Uh, it's interesting that here's a quote from uh, Lawrence. Throughout the scriptures, God's uh, messengers seek to understand God's word with the assistance and instruction of the spirit in prayer. <laughs> I had a, a woman who worked with me for years ago, Marilyn Moravec, and Marilyn came up to me one time and said, you know, church is an amazing thing, Bill, isn't it? 
she said, you know, if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, it would not work at all. <laughs> you know, uh, with all the differences, uh, oh, what school did you go to? Oh, what town did you grow up in? Uh, how many of you grew up within, uh, within 10 miles of this church? Raise your hand. Okay, how many of you did not, how many of you grew up an hour or more away from this church? Raise your hand. Okay, look at the differences between us. Uh, culturally differences, uh, ethnic, ethnically different, different types of home, different types of upbringing. Some brought up in, uh, in very liberal churches or in Catholicism or other things. Others brought up in very conservative churches. And yet we got to break down all these walls that we have built up when we come together. Pray for clarity. Number two, Ephesians 6.20. Pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. I'm like, Paul, you're kidding me. This guy who spends 25% of his life in prison for, for talking about Jesus, and he prays that God would help him to be bold? I don't know if you understand this, but I, I can uh, do a good job, you know, talking to you, and I can, I think, do okay one-on-one, uh, -on -one, but most pastors tend to be introspective. They just tend to be people who kind of are... are rebuilt and re-energized at the core of who they are. And uh, a lot of times the harder, the harder meeting is to just sit with a couple at their kitchen table is often harder than to have to talk to a whole group. We're all different. You have to understand who he is, what he is, uh, his wife, his kids. You're going to have to work at that a little bit to try to understand him. You cannot expect for him to be able to talk to every one of you and communicate with you uh, because, you know, he has so many differences he's got to comprehend and deal with. But he needs to build relationships with you. Ministry at its core is, is built on relationships. Some of the best moments of life for a pastor is when he's with other pastors who are similar to him. And they start telling about stupid things they did. And they tell funny stories. And they tell about mistakes they made. And they can relate to each other because they have a common reference field. But it takes a while for a pastor to build that. They say statistically, it takes a year and a half before you really get to know a pastor. A year and a half. You've got to give it some time. You've got to learn to understand what he's saying and how he's saying it. And again, one thing we can all pray is for boldness. Charles Haddon Spurgeon was pastor of the Tabernacle in, in London. His sermons were published in the London Times every Monday, the full text of his sermon. And a group of people came to the church who were his admirers, and he said, I'd like to uh, take you down to where the, the power and the energy for this church really comes from. He took them down to the basement of the church. You know why? Because that's where the prayer room was. And that's where people were praying. And when he would get up in the pl pulpit and preach, they would, they would go in that room and they would pray the entire time he was speaking that God would use that message and that the Holy Spirit would come. Why are some pastors more successful than others? I'm going to tell you because some pastors are prayed for well and are loved well by their people. In 2 Thessalonians 3, Paul, the final thing he asks us to pray for, that the Lord's message will spread rapidly and be honored wherever it goes. Rapid spread. You know, pray that as the message goes out, that, that it's going to be like wildfire. It's going to spread. I uh, used to think that in a, in a fire, you could probably do what a lot of 
uh, dumb people try to do, outrun it. And until I heard that a, uh, a fire, uh, a forest fire, a wildfire at its zenith travels 100 yards in four seconds. So unless you can run a, a football field in four seconds, you'll never outrun that fire. Uh, and he's praying that God would just kind of do something that would just create an energy in the message and that, uh, and that the message would be honored, would be respected by people. You have a unique opportunity because you have a new pastor. Uh, my cousin John, some of you watched uh, through the year. My cousin John's been on TV for 40 years. He's on the CW in Seattle and stuff. And, and if you, uh, one of my favorite illustrations of his, if you lived on a block and there were 10 families on that block, and of those 10 families, all the men, all 10 men got cancer. And then all of a sudden, one of those men just kind of got totally well and got healed. How long would it take the other nine men to ask him what it was he had done, how he became well again? How long do you think it would take? Because people are moved by what they see and what they hear. I can guarantee you, if just the people in this room would start to talk in this community or wherever you live about this fantastic new pastor you have, man, this guy just does such a great job of teaching the Bible to us. And it is with clarity, and it is with boldness. And if you started to talk that up a little bit, you'd be surprised the effect it would have. I mean, you, you all understand in marketing, one of the most effective things in marketing is always a word to, you know, word, to word, people talking to each other that shares uh, what's happening. I like this quote from Gibson. As a member of a congregation, I take it as my responsibility to pray for my pastor every day. Matt is on my prayer list, and I ask that the Lord will guide him in his sermon preparation and his preaching. Great pastors are built by great prayers, and I would hope you'll make a great commitment to really get behind uh, the new pastor, Ben. The second thing, the A is for attitude for a positive attitude. It's interesting, Hebrews 13. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Well, let's just stop right there. I've been married for 50 years. And uh, I love the woman very much. I grew up in, in Chicago. She grew up in a small town of about 1,800 people in Minnesota. We're different in a lot of different ways. And I don't know why, I don't know what's wrong with my wife, but I keep telling her to do what I tell her to do, and she won't do it. <laughs> uh, didn't take me very long to figure that out. Uh, I will say, in honesty, we went through 11 years of marriage counseling to make our marriage work, but it works great now. It just took time and energy and investment on my part and her part. I got into it to fix her, and can you end up, guess who changed mostly? Was it me or her? It was me. You know, uh, it, uh, it's our attitude of commitment. I've, I've been in converged churches, you know, since I was 10 years old, 
And in those days, it was called the Baptist General Conference. It has never been a perfect group. It has never been a, 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 you know, we don't like to call it a denomination, but it is. It has never been everything it should, it should be. And then a few years ago, we found out that uh, we were sending materials out to our churches. And in those days, I was chairman of the Board of Overseers at Convergent. And we found out that about half of our churches weren't using anything we sent out because it said Baptist on it. And they didn't have Baptist in the name of their church. And so we decided to change the name to Converge, which is what we did. We just kind of, we came up with a name that really has no intrinsic meaning related to a, it took us two years, by the way, to find a name. We went through so many names, but you couldn't get the internet on it. You couldn't get it in different areas. You couldn't, different languages, the words were different. And as we, as we went through all of that process together, we found out that communicating is, is increasingly difficult in our, in our culture. So we decided, well, what does, what does the word Amazon tell you that you can buy a book there or you can buy, I mean, a gazillion things now on Amazon? Or what does uh, Baskin Robbins tell you that you can get an ice cream cone there? So we would just take a name and we would infuse into that name the meaning that we wanted it to have, which is what we've been doing now for a number of years. Uh, Sometimes we make decisions which are not always popular, but the attitude of the people is to be receptive. Their work is to watch over your souls, and they are accountable to God. You want to know what keeps pastors up at night? One day, having to give an account for all these people that we work with and talk to and speak to and have to tell God why, why we did what we did. Give them reasons to do this with joy and not with sorrow, that would certainly not be for your benefit. James 3, brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church. For we who teach will be judged more strictly. People say, well, I feel like, uh, you know, maybe God's called me to be a pastor. God's called me to preach. And I said, good. Let me tell you what it is when God calls you to that. God calls you to prepare yourself for that. He doesn't call you to just go find a church and be a He calls you to get the education, the background, the training you need so that you can be a pastor. Not just to go out and do it kind of, uh, you know, half, half made, but to do it when it's ready. It says, uh, and you got to realize this, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna be in trouble. Uh, if you don't do this well, because God holds you to a higher standard. In James, the next verse, James 3, 2, we all make many mistakes. What comfort, I'm glad he says that right on the heels of the other. Aren't you glad that somewhere in the Bible it says we all make many mistakes? And what's the word I underlined? <laughs> not just one, you know, not just one, once in a while, we all... Everybody say it. Read it with me. We all make... <laughs> Let's read it again and highlight many. We all... How many of you have ever made a mistake? Would you raise your hand? Not you, ma'am? Oh, okay, okay. Just uh, The Bible says every one of us, friends, makes mistakes. We do, and... We need to cut each other some slack. You know, we need to make some space for humanity. We need to make some space that sometimes we are not perfect. We are imperfect human beings, and we all 
make many mistakes. Expect it. I did a wedding years ago, uh, 30 years ago, and I was, uh, it was a difficult couple. This couple had been together for eight years, but her parents never accepted him. After eight years of dating and being together, they still wouldn't accept him. Well, she uh, became pregnant, and they wanted to get married, and they came to me. They had been attending my church and asked if I'd be willing to marry them. And after talking to them and going through questions, I said, yes, I'd be willing to do your wedding. Well, the, the mother-in-law called me up, just fuming at me on the phone. She was from a very prominent family in the Christian community in Chicago. Her father was on Moody Radio in Chicago. Everybody knew who he was. And she was furious with me that I would marry this couple. And I, and I, I tried to say to her, well, it's been eight years. Don't you think maybe this is going to happen? And I think even her, the pregnancy is her da your daughter trying to force this to happen. And eventually we get to the wedding day. And they weren't going to come, but they came to the wedding. And the mother, mother in, the bride's mother is right there sitting in front, right in front of Ken here. And uh, I'm telling you, you could have warmed your hands on her head. I mean, she was fuming. And I get into the, uh, the, the wedding service, have my little book. And I had written everything out except I made uh, one mistake. I forgot to write the names of the couple down. Uh, and I'm trying to think, oh my, what can I do? And I'm like, you know, I'm, my brain is going a thousand miles an hour. And I, what I come up with is this. We come to the marriage vows and I say, to, I say this to him. Do you say your name, take her, say her name? <laughs> and he, and he, he looks at me and says, uh, what? <laughs> I, I said, just put your name in there. Just say, do you, and then put your name in there, take her, and then... Say her name. And he says, uh, I don't understand. <laughs> and I said, I can't remember your name. <laughs> and someday I'm going to die. And one of the nurses is going to say to the other nurse, you know, that was the strangest thing. You know, I've, I've listened to a lot of people in the last words. I don't understand. All he did at, at the end of his life was he yell out the word, Ken, Ken. <laughs> I'll never forget his name. Uh, I can guarantee you that Ben's going to make mistakes. Take it to the bank, guarantee it. Be gentle because you make mistakes too. Cut him some slack because he does have a high and exalted position in God's economy. When the Bible says, touch not thou my anointed, that ought to be something that brings us all to some level of respect for the one that God has called to be the leader of the church. Number three, support. First Timothy 5, elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. My first church as a senior pastor was in Kewanee, Illinois, the hog capital of the world, western Illinois. And at the end of the first year, we'd had a great year. Sunday school was up uh, 
about uh, 10%. The giving was up 25. Attendance was up 25. Everything was going great. In the annual meeting of the church, they set my salary, and they gave me a 5% raise. Uh, at that time, they were paying me $125 a week. Uh, I had a six-month-old baby. And between my wife and I, we had $250 a month in school loans. Uh, and they gave me like a $5 raise. And I, I just, it just broke me. I, I called the meeting of the deacons and the trustees, and I said, I don't know what you do. I know what it says when somebody offends you in the Bible, you go to them. I don't know what you do when you're mad at the whole church, but I can't get up there and preach on Sunday because I just can't believe the way you're treating me here. <clears throat> Treat the man of God with the respect that he's due, and part of that is to compensate him, especially, it says, those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. How long does it take to do a sermon? Well, it'd be nice. I'll tell you, I'd like it. If I only had to work one day a week, I would think that's really good. Oh. Uh, the average amount of time I spend on a sermon just to talk to you here is 20 hours a week. It takes me that long to get to the place where I think it's, it's ready. And frankly, even when I get up, I'm sitting there right while you're singing, thinking I've got to make two more changes or something. It never feels like it's done. It says you should respect them and pay well. First Timothy 5, the scripture says you must not muzzle the ox, keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. And in another place, those who work deserve their pay. Old Testament principle, you know, in the, when they would try, do the grain, they had the, those big uh, wheels of stone, and, the, and they would put the wheat before it, and it would crush it, and it would turn it into flour. And that, that ox would just go around in circles all the time. Well, then uh, some of it would spill out to where the ox was, and the ox would start to eat it. So then people would muzzle the ox because they didn't want the ox. And in the Bible, it says, no, it even cared about the ox, don't muzzle the ox because it's a result of his work that he's feeding off of. And I have lived by that principle at the end. Those who work deserve their pay. I have never assumed or asked anyone to do anything for me just because I'm a pastor or just because I think, you know, as part of my church, they deserve to do that. I always will offer to pay them because the, the, the labor is worthy of the hire. Those who work deserve their pay. And it's a great principle to live by in life. Um, number four, trust. Used to be a TV show. You remember, your, who do you trust? You know, this, this, as, as you get older, you realize really the key in so many relationships is trust. Do, do you trust me? Do I trust you? Is really kind of a key. Second Timothy 3, but you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught you know they are true, for you know that you can trust those who taught you. You're having a pastor who has had a call, who's been trained, who's had education, who's had preparation for this, who's had practical experience both in a church and in the military to care for people. Trust him. Trust him. And you need to trust him if it's going to be a successful time for you together with him. It's interesting in, uh, in 1 Timothy 5, don't listen to an accusation against an elder 
unless it is confirmed by two or three witnesses. In the Bible, there's a basic principle of law, which is lived out by Judge Judy and everybody else in the world. You believe the truth by facts, not by somebody's story, not by their sadness, not their anger. You, 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 the law is based on facts, and the facts must produce two or three witnesses, and that becomes the basis that decides the case. If somebody tells you something about the pastor and it just doesn't seem right to you, your tendency should be not to believe it. Now, all of a sudden, if there's a recurring pattern, then that needs to be brought to the leaders of the church. It needs to be brought, first of all, to the pastor, Matthew 18. And then if you don't uh, get the satisfaction you want there, bring it to the leaders of the church. But, you know, just let's have a predisposition not to believe every rumor, every innuendo, everything that somebody says. Because it just causes such tremendous harm in, in the church when that happens. Um, next up is the O, originality. And this really is speaking about who and what we are. In, uh, in Romans chapter uh, 12, uh, verse 4 starts out like this. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. The question is, what's your, what's your role? What's your part in this church? And in your relationship with your pastor, what's your part? What's your role with him? Uh, my daughter-in-law lives in Erie, Pennsylvania, and uh, her great joy in life is her chickens. She has all of her chickens named, Spent a lot of time and money building a new chicken coop and a, tr a chicken run last year. And she's so proud of her eggs. And her great joy is to take the eggs and to give them to her neighbors. If that's you, bring the pastor some eggs once in a while. Some of you raise cows. Bring the pastor a couple of steaks once in a while. Uh, you know, f find something that you can do just to encourage him and help him. Find something that, that you're good at that he and his wife need help on. Uh, maybe you could help out with the kids once in a while. Maybe, maybe it'd be really good. Your, your kids and their kids kind of match up a little bit, and you could take the kids for a day. Just let them go out and have a date night. Let them just have some time together. It doesn't have to be money. It doesn't have to cost you anything. Time is a, is a great thing. Maybe it's, a, again, time, talent, uh, treasure. You know, maybe it's, a, it's, a, it's an ability that you have. Uh, pastor's wife in Iowa, where I started as a youth pastor years ago, was uh, not doing well at all in that church. And my sister didn't even go to that church. My sister lived about 10 miles away. But my sister could just tell that the pastor's wife was not doing well. So she started to take her with her to things. She found out that they had a, co a concert by a Christian performing artists, and she took her, the pastor's wife to a couple of concerts with her. You know, that pastor, when he left that church years later, told me that, thanks so much for your sister. If it hadn't been for your sister, we would not have made it here because your sister was the only one who took time with Sue and to take her to places and to take her shopping and to give her some time. Find a way. Now, don't push yourself. Some of you are going to have a tendency to push too hard. You know, be sensitive and, you, and know when. Don't overwhelm him the first month, okay? 
you know, wait a little bit and kind of work it in next year sometime. But find out how, how can you help? How can you, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. You're part of one body, and those gifts are given for the common good of the church. Uh, so here I am a couple years ago, Southern California, again, church every Sunday, over 3,000 people in worship services, preaching up to five times a Sunday. And my birthday comes around, and they announce it, you know, on Sunday. Hey, Pastor Bill's uh, birthday is this week, and everything, and... Uh, one of the most discouraging things to me was by the end of that week, I had seven birthday cards. I know that's just a dumb little thing, but I'm like 3,000 people out there and only seven people even would just take a, a, a time to just send a card or just send a kind word. What's the ratio of seven out of 3,000? I mean, you know what? Take the time to love on him and his wife. Take the time to encourage them. Use the gifts you have to bless them. I, when Tim Keller, a great preacher in New York, died, one of the men said in the memorial about him, as a new pastor, I remember Tim Keller's encouragement at a small pastor's retreat to preach as though people who aren't Christians, weren't Christians, were present in the room. And if we did, they would come. And Christians would uh, feel more comfortable inviting their unbelieving friends. He also inspired me to point people to Christ through preaching rather than offering merely moral advice. I remain deeply grateful and impacted by Tim's influence in my life. Uh, one of the churches I worked at was a journey of faith in Manhattan Beach, California. And the pastor there, Justin Cusick, does the best job I know of talking to the room like people don't understand all the background. So he doesn't talk about, uh, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He'll say, you know, there was a, a guy who was a traveling minister early on in the life of the church, and this guy's name was Paul, and, and he wrote a letter to, to this church in the city of Corinth up in Greece, and he was actually in prisons in, in Ephesus when he wrote this, but he was concerned about some of the things he heard from those people. So he wanted to write a letter to them to just kind of help them correct some things and understand some things better. And I'm, I'm listening to Jason speak, and I'm like, wow. And, and you know what happened? People started leaving the church because they thought he was being too simplistic. They, taught, they thought that clarity and everything was insulting to their intelligence as Christians. And the fact that people were accepting Christ and getting baptized every month didn't seem to affect their judgment. Don't be a bunch of prunes, you know, don't be a bunch of dried-up old Baptists for crying out loud. You know, love this guy. Give him a chance. Get behind him. All these things we're talking about. And find a creative way. And then the finally, two more verses. Responsiveness. For, uh, 3 John, verse 7, 8. 
They accept nothing from people who are not believers, so we ourselves should support them so that we can be their partners as they teach the truth. Find ways to really get behind the pastor in all these ways. If you can't do anything else, just pray. But, you know, find a way to really come alongside. Let's, let's make a go of this thing, you know? Let's, let's, let's change this city. Let's change this county. Let's have an impact on people because we give this guy a chance and we get behind him 100% and support him as a pastor. When I was in that very first church, you know, 125 a week, you can all do the math. You know, so I have $500 a month. My total salary for the year was $6,000. And out of that, you know, $250 a month in school loans. And we came to winter, and there was a dear woman in the church. Her name was Ruth Redeen, and Ruth was in her 70s. And she would come and type, <clears throat> type the bulletin every week. Here's dating myself. We would type a stencil for the mimeograph machine and then have to run the, the mimeograph machine was my job. And, uh, and then that would be the program for Sunday that we had. She was a widow, had been a widow for a number of years. Uh, she was not by any means, way, shape, or form, a wealthy woman. She had kind of what I would call a sustenance, kind of a level of, of financial support. We would see each other every week as we were working on the program. And one day she said to me, is that your only coat that you have for winter? I said, well, yeah. She said, well, you were, you were up in Minnesota. You didn't have a better coat than that? I said, well, no, it's, that's, that's the coat I have. You're ahead of me. Next week she brought me a nice new coat. Nice warm winter coat. A widow who couldn't afford it. That was in 1976, and I'm still telling you that story because of the love that that woman showed to me. She saw a need that I had, and she did something about it that she probably couldn't afford. But I can't tell you what that said to me as a young pastor, that there was somebody in that church that cared about me and saw something and did something about it. It says in Acts 6, we will give the deacons this responsibility in the early church. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Come alongside so that he has the time I don't know what. You've got to think of it. I can think of all kinds of things. Maybe wash his car when you're washing your car. Maybe help cut his grass. Maybe, you know, uh, just look for the need. Look for what it is that you could do that would be simple and find a way to really encourage him and his family and let him know how blessed they are to be here. Somebody said as they were driving here today, his wife said, we're almost home. We're almost home. That touched me. You got a good, good family coming. Be good to them. They are the servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, given as a gift to your church. Take good care of them. In fact, let's, let's stand together and let's close in prayer right now. 
And I'd like to do this in a different way. I'd like to do it the way the Christians in Korea do it. And here's what we're going to do. We're all going to pray for the pastor and his wife right now. Remind me of the wife's name? Hannah. Hannah. And we're going to pray for Ben and Hannah. And we're going to do it out loud all at the same time. We're going to talk over each other. And we're all going to pray that God would bring them here safe, help them as they get moved in tomorrow, help them to really feel at home here, pray for their kids. I mean, we're just going to pray for Ben and Hannah right now out loud. Ready? Everybody uh, do it now. And now unto him who is able to accomplish more than we could ask or imagine, because his power is at work in us. To him be all the glory, all the credit forever and ever. And together we said, Amen. Amen.